0: My name is Caleb, I serve here as one of our pastors here at Desert Springs, and we are continuing in our sermon series called Rhythms of Grace. Uh, but Before we launch into that, I wanted to invite you, uh, this is our 40th year as a church family. We were uh, launched in 1977, that's why there's giant 40s on the back of the wall, and uh, on September 24th, we're having our birthday party, so I hope that you'll join us here at 9, 30, and 11, as we celebrate God's goodness towards us over these last Uh, 40 years. And also, if you call Desert Springs your church home, and especially if you're a member uh, or are interested in joining as a member, I would strongly encourage you to join us for our vision meeting on October 27th at four o'clock here At Desert Springs. We're going to be sharing about where we believe God is uh, leading us in this next season of ministry. And so we're going to talk about kind of how we are as a church and how God's uniquely wired us and also some of the things we believe he's calling us to do. And for those of you who are committed to the mission values and vision of Desert Springs or are interested in what our mission values and vision are, uh, please join me for that uh, and make a point to be here on August 27th at four o'clock. As a people, we strive to worship our Lord. We do it every week through song, but we realize that what the scripture teaches is that all of life is worship. We are always worshiping. As created beings, as people, we are always worshiping. Uh, David Foster Wallace, an author, he wrote Infinite Jest and a few other amazing books, in his Address to Kenyon College in the mid-2000s, says this, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. Now, Wallace doesn't proclaim to be a Christian. In fact, I, I don't believe he was uh, based on his writings. But he's saying basically the same thing as Romans 1.25, which says this, is that we oftentimes will exchange the truth of God for a lie. And worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Our temptation, regardless of who we are, is to worship and to elevate and to adulate and to to celebrate and to rejoice in created things rather than the creator. You are always worshiping. I am always worshiping. The question is, what or who do we worship? We're always worshiping, we're always rejoicing, we're always celebrating some ultimate good in our life. For some of us, that's sex, we worship sex. For others, it's money, we worship money. For others, it's power, we worship power. In smaller degrees, you see this in your life, in sports teams, or restaurants, or movies. When we have a good game, when we have a good meal, when we watch a good movie, what do we do? We go to other people, and we tell them how wonderful the thing was. Have you ever done that? Come on now. Yes. You've done that, haven't you? That's worship. It's elevating something, right? It's elevating something as a good. And doesn't something happen to you when the other person reciprocates? They're like, yeah, you know what? I agree. That restaurant is awesome. And then you're off and running. You can't not worship. There's no such thing as not worshiping. There's just What or who do we worship? As a church family uh, here at Desert Springs, and if you're new or newer to Desert Springs, or maybe you're still trying to figure the whole Jesus thing out, I'm so glad you're here because this is an essential part of who we are. We, every week, we gather to sing. Now, it's interesting. Uh, we, we, um, We call this building the Worship Center, but I don't want you to get the impression that this is the center of worship, like I've gotta be in this room in order to worship. You can't not worship, you're always worshiping. Now what we do in this particular room is we express that through singing, but you know that singing ain't worship. You know that, right? It's just an expression, do you guys know that? You do now. Singing ain't worship, it's not the same thing. Your, your, Your heart is always worshiping something. But when we sing together, we, something happens to us. It's a rhythm of grace. It's a spiritual discipline. It's something we do for four key reasons. When we sing together as a church family, it recalibrates the heart, reminds us of God's goodness and grace. It reinforces the truths that we find in Scripture, and it gives us an opportunity to, uh, to rejoice. Number one, it recalibrates the heart. Psalm 115.1 says this. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Not to us, we don't want the glory, Lord. You, it's a recalibration of the heart. Every week, you've got a thousand things vying for your attention, for your worship. And when we gather together to sing as a rhythm of grace, as a spiritual discipline, we are recalibrating. we have the opportunity to recalibrate our hearts towards God. Do you see? The singing is not mere tradition, it's a recalibrating moment. Many of us, okay, so I've been on vacation for a few weeks, so you know it's going to get, we're going to get snappy, right? (laughs) You know, you know the heavy's coming. Most of us view the singing as an opening act to the awesome preaching. (laughs) That's sin, okay? It's a recalibration. The rest of us think it's just extra margin space so we can show up late. I told you it was gonna get snappy, okay? 9.30 and 11 every week. And I don't mean that to guilt you, I just mean to say, That singing together is a moment of recalibration of the heart. And your heart is being pulled in a thousand directions. It recalibrates the heart. It also is an opportunity for us to remind one another. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, in one of my favorite books that he wrote called The Four Loves, has this section on friendship. It's my favorite chapter in any book. And because I'm a pastor, I have to say outside the Bible. In, the, in this chapter on friendship, he and I'm going to paraphrase kind of loosely. He gives this um, he gives this wonderful moment where he talks about how there's three friends, himself and two other friends, Ronald and Charles, and one of them dies. And one of the things that he notes in that he notices is that in that circle of friends, instead of having the friend who's now living, instead of having more of him, he has less of him. Listen to what he says, right? Lewis says this, in each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. I am not large enough to call any one person completely into activity. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald, far from having him all to myself now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. Do you see? Do your friendships work like this too, where... When you 're together in a group of friends, the other they're bringing out things out of each other different than you could. you see. He goes on to say, "In this friendship exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven itself, where the very multitude of the blessed increase the fruition or understanding which each has of God. For every soul in heaven, seeing God in her own way, communicates that unique vision to all the rest. That why is why an old author, he says. That is why the seraphim in Isaiah's vision or the angels in Isaiah's vision are singing holy, holy, holy to each other. When we gather together as a rhythm of grace, as a normal discipline in our lives, we are recalibrating our own hearts and by singing together, we are reminding each other of God's goodness, his grace, his mercy, his love. And we're reinforcing that truth to each other. I remember sitting right here years ago We were here for a service, and I was standing there, and I was standing uh, just down the row was a young woman who the previous year, her her infant uh, child had died, and we were getting very close to the anniversary of that death, and we were standing there, and we were singing the song, It Is Well With My Soul. Now, in that moment, she didn't know she was doing this, Is most of the time we don't recognize these things until after the fact. But she was reinforcing the truths of God's goodness and grace in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of pain, to me simply by being present while we sang. Because I see in her a different manifestation of God's love, grace, and mercy, right? When we're singing that song, it is well with my soul. Whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well with my soul. It meant something different for her to sing it than for me to sing it. And she was subconsciously, or without her even knowing, she was reinforcing my understanding of God's goodness. Do you see? That when we sing together, we recalibrate our hearts, and we remind each other of God's goodness, and elevate the different facets of God, and we reinforce the truths of God's word. But finally, it is an opportunity for us to rejoice. Oh, and by the way, in Ephesians 5.19, it says that we're to speak to each other, now check this out, it says we're to talk to each other, we're to speak to each other in songs. When we gather together to sing, we are singing to God, but we are also singing to each other. Now, I don't mean that you should be weird, and start walking around making eye contact with people like a crooner, right? Like, oh, Lord, my God, Matthew, when I... We, we're not doing that. We're not singing to each other like Neil Diamond, 50 years, holla, right? He was just here. So, so half of you guys were at Neil Diamond, the other half were at Metallica. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and thus, we have a very diverse congregation. It recalibrates the heart. It reminds us of God's goodness, grace, and mercy. It reinforces the truth of his word. And finally, it's an opportunity for us to put into action our rejoicing or, to put it another way, it's an opportunity for us to exercise our enjoyment of God. What I mean by that is this. If you have uh, been a fan of a sports team, when they win the game or they score a point, do you make an audible noise? Come at me right? You are exercising, you are rejoicing in, you are enjoying and communicating that enjoyment to everybody else. You with me? If you have a good meal, do you make any noises? Now dads, tons of dad jokes there. Let's just, let's keep it on the up and up, please. You say things like, "Mm." hmm, what's that? That's rejoicing. That's, that's using your uh, vocal cords to communicate your enjoyment of the thing. Do you follow? Uh, Jonathan Edwards, who's an old school theologian, he says this. I'm going to paraphrase. He says, God glorifies himself in two ways. Number one, by appearing to our understanding. That God glorifies himself when we think, when we think deeply about the truths of God's word. But secondly, God also glorifies himself in communicating himself to our hearts, in our rejoicing and our delighting in and enjoying the way he makes himself known to us. You follow me? That God receives glory and we receive joy not only when we think cognitively about God, not only when we entertain uh, truths about God mentally, but when we enjoy them to the point to where we express it through song. It's rejoicing, it's expressing enjoyment. God is glorified not only by his glories being seen, but also being rejoiced in. I would put it to you another way. God's glory is, is not only made known when it's seen, but also when it's celebrated by his people. You with me? When we gather to sing as a rhythm of grace, we recalibrate our hearts, we remind one another of God's truth and character, we reinforce those truths to one another based on our unique and individual lives, and finally, we exercise that through rejoicing. This is exponentially more than just tradition or the opening act. And yet there's so much confusion. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna have some of our worship and arts leaders, uh, Danny, Kendall, and Kathy, to come and join me up here. And I wanted to say while they're uh, they're joining us here uh, this morning that um, you are so blessed to have such an amazing group of individuals who use their skills, gifts, talents, resources, and time to serve and to bless you week in and week out. There are so many of you that volunteer, whether it's through children's ministry or student ministry or setup and takedown, through our host teams, through setting up and uh, delivering communion, uh, office volunteers, tech booth. Uh, but I just wanted to take a special moment and say, you are blessed by countless musicians and leaders who want to serve you. And let me, check this out, they are giving of a lot of time. They have Tuesday practice, they're practicing during the week. They get here before seven on Sunday. Do you know what time you have to wake up before you, to show up before seven on Sunday? What time? You have to wake up before seven. <laughs> okay. So we are blessed as a congregation to have such an amazing team. And we're gonna talk to some of the There's Danny Hunkin, Kendall Hunkin, and Kathy Mertens, and they serve us. <laughs> And so we're going to talk uh, just and, and kind of get from their perspective um, uh, just a few questions here, and then we'll continue in worship together as a church family. But uh, my question for y'all is, what is worship?
1: I'll answer that one. Um, so if you go to the dictionary, worship is reverence or awe for something, and we know that God is worthy of our awe. The, the Bible says the rocks cry out, like we are made to worship, like you said. But for me, worship as a discipline and worship on a Sunday morning in this corporate setting really becomes an act of focus because there are so many distractions, there are so many things going on in my life that, that it has to be a choice for me on a Sunday morning um, to just to turn my heart, turn my attention towards God and who He is and what He has done and, and that in turn brings true worship in, to the whole congregation and in our hearts.
2: Worship's always been a response for me ever since I was a kid, a uh, response to God's love, a response to God's grace, um, understanding that, and then and singing and worship, I, I, I felt like I could do that and, uh, and do it well, so I felt like I gave a, a gift, a sacrifice of worship to the Lord by singing. <laughs>
3: Uh, For me, um, I believe that worship is a lifestyle. It's not just on Sunday mornings when you come here. Um, It's throughout your entire day. Um, I believe that uh, there's so many elements that um, are in worship, like baptism, giving, uh, going on a missions trip, or just being that positive light in people's lives. Uh, In John 4, it talks about being... The true worshiper, and that's worshiping in spirit and in truth. And um, I believe that's not just in the church, but it's when people don't see you, it's when you're in secret. And so, it's the right moment. That's
0: good. And what, um, how is it that worshiping through song has shaped your faith over the years?
2: Well, the songs that we sing in on Sundays, um, you know, that have depth, that have um, that describe God's character, um, describe, and those are some things that, as I sing throughout the week, that have helped me kind of get an understanding of who God is, and maybe even my purpose in life. And it allows even the truths of God's word to be um, to have effect in my heart throughout the week.
1: I have a history. Uh, my dad did not play an instrument or sing, but he played the radio, that was his skill. And, and he used to wear out cassette tapes of his, his song of the moment. And I feel like songs are a memorial. I can go through my history and I can point to certain songs that, that spoke to what I was going through at that time and um, were an encouragement or just a, a way to rejoice. Mm. That's good.
0: It's interesting, Danny, even as you're talking about the, the words, um, and you guys, all can, you guys all know this, but you're not gonna tell me that everyone remembers the songs and nobody remembers the sermon. And the, the, right, the, the songs are a memorable sermon. And so just to your point about them being deep and lyrical, I mean, have, it's happened to me countless times where I'm reminded of a truth or of God's character or of God's goodness, not because I'm quoting some pastor I heard or preacher I heard, I'm, it's the song, right? It just sticks with us. And so I think that it does shape us more than we give it credit for. What do you think the value of singing together as a congregation is? What's some of the values?
3: Um, For me, being as a congregation, like worshiping as a congregation is one of the things that made me wanna be a worship leader. Um, And that was solidified when I went to this church down in Tempe, it was like a young adult college group kind of thing. My first time there, I was up like close to the stage and everybody started forming a mosh pit. And I was like, what is going on? (laughs) And then the music started and everybody was jumping around and just like pushing each other and stuff. It was a lot of fun. And then um, there was like a reflective song that came on and people were crying and just raising their hands and some people were even praying over other people. And just being surrounded by that, I was, absolutely in awe of God's glory and God's grace, and just seeing every individual at like different walks in their life, all coming together and just worshiping this God, I was like, this is crazy. And I wanted to be a part of that as a career and just leading people through worship through music. So uh, I believe that congregation worship is so much more like so much more of an experience than just listening to a Jesus song in your car it 's like you can feel the love in the air it's so tangible
1: I know my team um, has talked several times before about how some of our most powerful moments of worship are when we are are up here playing and singing and we feel like our hair is getting blown back by the worship coming out of your mouths and your hearts. That is one of the most powerful experiences to hear 250 or 300 people unified, worshiping God together. And I think that's amazing from up here watching that. It's one of the most powerful things that I've seen.
0: In um, Hebrews 2:12, it says, "'I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters, in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And it's interesting that there's this um, mutual component where we're speaking to one another, and we're praising one another, but it's done together in the congregation. I think one of the other things, too, is um, you, for those of you that call Desert Springs your church home, you're, you're a weird bunch. Um, as best I could tell, we're all, for, like, there's not a common thread of background or socioeconomic, uh, or, or, or racial um, thing unifying us. Like the reason, like there's nothing keeping us together. Most of us don't like each other, naturally. And that, that's biblical, by the way, is um, that the thing that binds us together is not our common affinity, but Christ, Him crucified and resurrected. And, and I think one of the things that uh, is so fascinating to me is um, when we, as a congregation, sing together, it is a physical expression of unity in the midst of diversity. Unity together in love for one another and then unity in our praise and adoration of the Lord. And I know not all of us uh, understand all the songs or we, we might not get down with it, but it's a moment, a physical manifestation of the unity in the midst of diversity. And I, I don't think you guys should do mosh pits because I have an insurance premium uh, um, that's you know, a little high, but... Even in the midst of that, it's fascinating because one of the things that's uh, sad to me and I know to many of us today is that many churches, church families, that unity begins to dissolve and one of the reasons it dissolves is because they're angry at each other over music. And we allow musical stylings and musical preferences to become divisive within the church. And as a church family, we are all over the map when it comes to preferences and backgrounds. And I wanna just say that our music and arts team, they are constantly striving to minister to this odd, diverse congregation in ways that would bless, uh, that we can bless one another. And so I, I just want you to know, I know some of us are frustrated, some of us are confused by how different things are. I want you to know that the heart of this team, is to serve you and glorify the Lord in the best way possible. There's a lot of factors that go into that, uh, but when we sing together, we are in unity to, with one another because of the Lord, and it's an expression of that, and so I, I think it's important for us to be a part of that week in and week out. We, uh, the majority of us, are not worship and arts leaders. You guys lead, and so it might help us a little bit to, to kind of hear how being a worship leader has impacted you.
2: Well, I've uh, led worship for most of my life, and you know it's through music and corporate worship in church that I've come to understand God. But that has transcended even this building and this room and this experience to where I see and hear God um, even throughout every day. But the practice of doing this week in and week out and expecting to hear from God here with our brothers and sisters, has led my heart and mind to, to a place of expecting to hear from God every moment of every day, expecting Him to show up. Uh,
3: for me, one of the things that's impacted me as being a worship leader is to learn how to be humble. Uh, that Sunday morning is not just a performance or a gig; it's worshiping our Lord and Savior and leading you guys in worshiping our Lord and Savior. Um, so I think. One of the best analogies that um, I was taught was that uh, being a worship leader was supposed to be like a window into like just catching a glimpse of the love and glory of Christ. So what that means is that we're not supposed to just occupy the stage, but be leaders by using our gifts and leading you into worshiping or um, growing in your relationship with God.
0: It's interesting, Um, we live in a culture that assumes that excellence, when somebody performs something excellently, we assume that they're just craving adulation and praise. So here's something interesting to think about. uh, Psalm 33 says this, Sing to him a new song, Play skillfully on the strings and with loud shouts. That throughout the scriptures, this, there's an elevation of being skillful at what you do. Whether that's where you work or if you're a craftsperson with your craft, uh, if you're a lawyer, it's doing that well. Uh, using your gifts and, and, doing and using those gifts to serve one another skillfully is elevated. And when our, when our leaders, when they're skillful, uh, then they become windows. It's really when um, somebody takes this role, and I'm gonna, speak on their, I'm gonna speak embarrassingly about them. When they're putting in 30, 40 hours of practice to nail that song, it's not so that they are elevated, it's so that they can be windows. But when, when there's some sloppiness or a lack of care or a lack of concern, that's really when we get noticed. I used to play the drums, and when I wasn't on, I could feel... You people, <laughs> judging me, <laughs> right? And I knew I was gonna. You know, Danny was. I don't think. Did you ever? I don't think you were the leader when I was doing it. But you know, I knew the leader was gonna have a talk with me after. And and it just it, 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 it it's, you know it it hurts the whole. And so when they practice uh, the other thing I would say in Psalm 144:9, it says, "Sing, uh, I will sing a new song to you, O God, upon a ten-stringed harp." So if we get a twelve-string guitar, biblical. Just putting that out there. Danny, especially for you, but you guys can chime in as well, when we think about the lyrics of the songs, how important is it selecting those lyrics and and what goes into your process on that?
2: Well, yeah, lyrics are really important because they were impacting me at an early age. The songs that we sang, um, you know, the lyrics are what carried me through whatever I was going through in life. So, Um, In school, we learned about objective lyrics and and subjective songs as well, objective and subjective. And so objective lyrics state a truth of who God is, or an absolute, and subjective truth was experiential, what I was going through. And uh, we see in the Psalms that both are in place in the Psalms, Psalm 23 is the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, that's a subjective thought. Psalm 150 so it talks about the Lord, he's almighty, and he's be lifted up, sing to him a new song. So it's a balance of both of those, objective and subjective truth, I th- believe is healthy, and, and not necessarily focusing too much on, on objective truth. God may seem cold and, and far away, and focusing too much on subjective truth may cause us to look at ourselves as the answer to whatever we're going through and forget about God.
0: Yeah, that's good. And I know that our team puts a lot of thought and work into, I mean, mon- literally months out thinking about the songs that are used on any given Sunday, that they're corollary to the message, they're corollary to the scriptures that are read, corollary to the theme. And so I just really appreciate the work that, that this team puts in uh, to service. Would you thank them for uh, their time here this morning? Thank you, guys. Just so we're clear, the clapping is appreciation, not adulation, all right?